We are now one day past the summer solstice and one day closer to the next one. There's a rhythm to our existence on this planet that never stops, so it makes a lot of sense to take a lot of snapshots. Here's another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, capturing a few observations about June 22nd, 2022, the first full day of summer. I'm Sean Tubbs, ready to adjust to days that shed light as I shed light on more buildings and food. On today's program, the stage is set at the Ting Pavilion for the next phase of the Seaville Plans Together initiative. Details on the zoning, diagnostic, and approach report that will be discussed at that meeting. Lights will soon be installed at the McIntyre Skate Park in Charlottesville, and the Albemarle Planning Commission takes up a rezoning for 525 units on Old Ivy Road, and the developer asks for more time to retool the application. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, have you ever wanted to learn as much as you can about how to preserve and protect trees? The Charlottesville area tree stewards are opening up registration for their fall series of online training sessions and field activities running from August 9th through November 19th. Full tuition details are at charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org. And if you want to get a feel for what you may learn, there's a public tree identification walk through the Grand Trees spanning the front areas of the University of Virginia on Sunday, June 26th. Attendance is limited, so register today. Two of the three components of Charlottesville's update of its overarching land use policies are complete and the work towards the third has begun to move along. Last week, the city released what's being called the Diagnostics and Approach Report, which provides a pathway forward for how the city's zoning ordinance will be rewritten. In a letter included in the report, the city's Director of Neighborhood Development Services, James Fries, said that the zoning rewrite project is not about adding more plans, goals, or objectives, but is entirely focused on implementing the Affordable Housing Plan and the Comprehensive Plan. All of this work has done and will be done under the auspices of the Seville Plans Together initiative. A public meeting will be held at Monday, June 27th at the Ting Pavilion about the document. Here's some more from Fries's letter. At the core of the entire Seville Plans Together process, there has been a commitment to addressing issues of racial equity and affordable housing, and that core commitment remains as we work through the zoning rewrite. Meeting this commitment requires that our zoning allow people to build more housing units throughout the city, that it establishes incentives to include affordable units and new multifamily development, and that it is sensitive to the potential for displacement. The draft report calls for several steps to make the zoning ordinance more predictable. This would include restricting the usage of the special use permit process to uses rather than bulk and massing. It would also discourage further rezonings. The future zoning map is to facilitate the vision of the future land use map, which calls for all single-family residential lots to be able to build three units, with a fourth available if it is rented or sold at city-defined affordability levels. In fact, much of the additional density in higher intensity zones would require that same affordability for bonus units. In a separate but related process, HR&A advisors are working with Code Studio and the city on an inclusionary zoning ordinance to codify the details. 
This will also include the sensitive community areas, which are intended to stop further displacement in neighborhoods such as Fifeville and 10th and Page. Several properties in those areas have recently sold for high amounts. Other useful information and recommendations in the draft include there's a description of housing types beginning on page 33 if you want to know the difference between a carriage house, a triplex, and a 12plex. There is a recommendation to create zoning districts based on building form to reflect the different designations in the future land use map. There would be a house scale district and a medium scale district. Smaller lots would be permitted more lot coverage than larger ones. Other recommendations include reducing parking requirements and the modification of existing setback requirements to provide flexibility to place more units on lots. There are pages of diagrams that depict how this might be achieved for different lot sizes and shapes. There is a focus on urban form rather than density, allowing density to be regulated by building codes and fire codes. Building heights would be expressed in both feet and stories. Some of the many existing mixed-use corridor districts with similar building heights and an urban form could be combined into a single district. The word family would be replaced with household or unit. There should be more use of manufactured homes, particularly for tiny homes. And the Entrance Corridor Review Board should be eliminated by building standards into the zoning code. Those are all some of the recommendations in the draft work, which is not yet complete. Some, but not all, of the existing zoning categories have been taken through the process, but Appendix B shows the ones that have. There will certainly be more information about this process in the next few months. Please stay tuned to this newsletter, which seeks to bring as much information as possible. A public-private partnership to relocate a skate park removed for road construction resulted in a new facility in McIntyre Park opening in 2019. But until now, there have been no lights due to budget cuts to the project made to get it completed. This morning, the city announced a fundraising goal has been met and lights will be installed by mid-September, when in place, the park will stay open until 10 p.m., Here's a section from the press release. The lights are LED fixtures from Musco Lighting, chosen for their low light pollution, energy use, heat emission, and longevity. The funding for the lights comes entirely from private donations, with contributions from the Bama Works Fund, the Perry Foundation, the Rock the Lights campaign by Dwayne Brown, Upper Level Screen Printing, Freestyle, Hatcher Consulting, and Anonymous Local Foundation. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. And since the beginning of this newsletter, one longtime Patreon supporter has used his shout-out to draw your attention to the work of the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives campaign. But today, let's talk about National Pollinator Week, which runs through June 26th. There will be many events designed to draw your attention to the crucial role that bees and other creatures play in making sure plants reproduce. On Saturday at 10 a.m., Scottsville's Center for the Arts and Natural Environment will host Allison Wickham from Siller Pollinator Company. Wickham will lead an introduction to bees and beekeeping. If you're thinking about starting a backyard beehive or are just curious about what's involved with keeping bees, then this is a great introductory class for you. There will even be a honey competition judged by Allison Wickham. For the tuition rate and to register, visit svillartsandnature.org 
for a list of all of the upcoming classes. That's sphilartsandnature.org for a list of all of the upcoming classes and more from Scottsville Center for the Arts and Natural Environment. One big long segment today, and this is something that I don't believe has been reported anywhere else yet, and I wish I could have gotten to it as soon as possible. I really just want to take time here to say that the reason I do this work is because I don't think anybody else is going to do it unless I do, and that sounds really silly, because I'm not that important. But it is important for me to tell you that the Albemarle County Planning Commission had a long public hearing on June 14th on Star Development's rezoning request for up to 525 units on about 35 acres on Old Ivy Road. The five parcels of property are nearby University Village, Huntington Village, Ivy Gardens, and several office spaces mostly owned by the UVA Foundation. Rebecca Ragsdale is a planning manager with the county. And then to the north, of course, is um, the Darton, Darton Business School at UVA, North Grounds, including the law school and other um, UVA nearby destinations. There are three different zoning types across the property, with R1, R10, and R15. The higher intensity zoning parcels have legally binding conditions on them called proffers. And one of those proffers is that um, the R15 properties are limited to R1 density until transportation proffers are deemed satisfied by the Board of Supervisors. Some of the land had been owned by the Virginia Department of Transportation for usage for the now-defunct Western Bypass. The Rivanna Trail runs through the site, and portions of it will be rerouted as part of the development. There are discrepancies between what county staff believe in terms of affordable housing and what the developer is offering. Ragsdale said the developer's interpretation assumed that the R15 properties are already rezoned and should not trigger the county's policy. As such, they're offering 14 of the units to be designated as affordable rentals. Staff disagrees. But the major concerns related to transportation impacts. Planning manager Kevin McDermott said a traffic study commissioned by the developer found that intersections on the western end of Old Ivy Road, particularly at the U.S. 250 interchange, are already overburdened. Uh, existing conditions at those are, are currently failing for many movements um, and, and poor all around. McDermott said the county and the Virginia Department of Transportation are working on potential options, but that work is not yet complete. If they are determined feasible, we would need to identify funding for that. The eastern end of Old Ivy Road has a narrow railroad underpass, which McDermott said was also being studied, but nothing is shovel-ready. Based on that analysis, the staff doesn't really consider that the 1985 proffer has been satisfied. McDermott also said the traffic study also showed that Old Ivy residences would cause further delays. He did say there have been some improvements to upgrade the road, such as installation of curb and gutter and a 30-foot road width. However, he said nothing has been done to realign the roadway at the underpass, and there's only a partial sidewalk on the south side of Old Ivy Road. John Clarkson is the managing director of Graystar, which is based in Charleston, South Carolina. We think we have a project here that is very appropriate for what is defined by the zoning. Um, we intend to build a very thoughtful and well-designed project that meets the housing demand. Graystar hired Williams Mullen to help them through the land use process in Albemarle. She said there have been enough improvements on Old Ivy Road since the proffer was adopted in the rezoning in 1985. 
most significantly, the university's construction of Leonard Sandridge Drive, which obviously took a tremendous amount of traffic off of Old Ivy. Really, the only outstanding one is the railroad trestle. We certainly understand and agree that is a problem. And we are comforted and encouraged by Mr. McDermott's comments about how closely they're working with VDOT and the university representatives to address that issue. Long said Graystar will make contributions to a solution when it is identified. She said the issue before the county is whether to approve dense housing inside of the designated growth area, where the units would be close to where people want to be. There is currently no transit along Old Ivy Road, but Long said they would build a bus stop. They're also asking for a reduction in the parking requirements. Long also addressed the concern about the developer's interpretation of the county's housing policy. The Bivens that Long refers to is Commissioner Julian Bivens, who represents the Jack Jewett district where this development would be built. The land is zoned R15, not all of it, but the vast majority, as Mr. Bivens indicated, about 27 acres are zoned R15. So we're not asking for an increase for those parcels in terms of units. Rents would be between $1,850 a month and $3,600 a month. Bivens suggested that Graystar offer more than just 14 units. Affordable units is not about poverty. Affordable units is about people who have jobs. And because of our community morphing towards more of a service industry, those jobs don't pay as much as some of the other jobs used to be. So it's not about poverty. It's about do I have a job that pays me this amount of money? And so... I think it would be really, if this goes forward, when it goes forward, it would really be a strong signal that I really want to be responsive to the community if I'm not saying I'm going to give you 14 units. Around two dozen people spoke at the public hearing, most of them opposed. One of them was Joel Loving, who lives in the Bel Air neighborhood. No question that adding as many as 1,500 residents and 1,000 vehicles to this small area will have a substantial impact on pedestrian and vehicular traffic, uh, storm water, uh, the local school system, and I'm sure there's plenty more that will be discussed this evening. Elizabeth Kuchai recently moved into University Village after living in Charlottesville for decades. She said 525 units are too many. The University of Virginia has already erected many new buildings on Old Ivy Road. They also own Ivy Gardens apartments and have plans to redevelop that property, increasing its density by 150%. Many other residents from University Village asked for the commission to consider specific topics, such as a concern that fire and rescue access would be limited. No fire department, no matter how good they are, is going to be able to cope with a fire in a development of this size when you got people packed in there like sardines. One of the final speakers from University Village was Sally Thomas, who served 16 years on the Board of Supervisors. She voted to adopt the Neighborhood Model District zoning in 2001 to fulfill the comprehensive plan goal of compact development in the designated growth areas. This old road... Ivy Apartments project is not what the county hoped for in smart growth. Why not? It's certainly dense and within the growth area, but it's also like too many other projects. It seemed to be desirable developments. It overloads the present facilities and its interconnectivity just hasn't quite been developed in a way that will work for both residents in the neighborhood. Only three people spoke in person at the public hearing in favor of the rezoning. One was the lawyer for the property owner who will sell it to Graystar. 
Another was John Matthews, whose company produced a report for the development. The other was Ivo Romanesco. He's a Farmington resident who was also part of the Development Initiative Steering Committee, which helped develop the neighborhood model. The t- clock is ticking on the growth area. I think that the uh, double-digit growth percentages that are occurring with population in Albemarle and the planning district put pressure on Albemarle County. And I would like to see the growth area accommodate as much reasonably good, well-designed development as it can so that we can preserve the beautiful areas of Albemarle County as long as we can. In her rebuttal after the public hearing, Long acknowledged there is work to be done to increase connectivity for both pedestrians and motor vehicles. She said Graystar is offering funds toward improvements. Graystar is committed to continuing to negotiate with all of its neighbors. They want to improve the safety and the traffic issues, and they're continuing to make those contributions. And as uh, somebody indicated, make the connections. As we we've spent a lot of time talking with Mr. McDermott and VDOT and other folks, trying. You know, we've had our traffic engineer putting suggestions together, our civil engineers drawing plans, submitting them to various offsite owners with um, engineered plans for paths, for connections, for road improvements. We just can't do it unilaterally. Then it was before the Planning Commission. At-large Commissioner Luis Carazana likened the 1985 proffer restricting development until transportation improvements were ready as a gate. That is a concept that I believe is very useful, and particularly as we consider um, amendments to our comprehensive plan. Carazana said the commission hears again and again about overburdened roads and overcrowded schools. He also said he did not think the conditions of the proffer have been met. In terms of the failing road, uh, and that road is not getting any better, it is dangerous. Commissioner Karen Firehawk said another constraint is the presence of the railroad that runs parallel to Old Ivy Road, which has been owned by CSX for many years, but is now owned by the Virginia Passenger Rail Authority. She said the underpass is hazardous after heavy rainfall. I have seen cars floating very surprised UVA students, in fact, not realizing that wasn't just a puddle um, and having cars totaled because they had to be towed out. However, Firehawk said she felt this was a good area to develop if the connections can be made. Commissioner Corey Claiborne said he felt the density could be appropriate, but the traffic concerns are a showstopper. I don't believe that the uh, transportation piece has been satisfied according to the board's stipulation on that. I, I'm, That hasn't been proven to me tonight. Claiborne said he did understand how the developers came up with a number 14 for affordable housing units. But nothing prevents you from doing above what the policy asks either. And there's just no way that I could vote for 525 525 units. 14? Commissioner Bivens suggested that Graystar could get permission to connect to Leonard Sandridge Road, which leads out to eastbound US 250. I don't know how you do that. You all are sophisticated enough. You all have all the various buttons that you can push in that administration. I would encourage you to do that, and I would particularly encourage you to do that before you meet with the supervisors. Bivens made a motion to recommend denial of the rezoning, but Long approached and asked for a deferral so some of the issues could be worked out. The Planning Commission granted that deferral, and Firehawk has the final words in this story. I'll just say that I very much look forward to seeing 
how the applicant works on all these things because I think that we do believe that density in the urban ring is a good thing, but we and and, and that the many of the problems are not insurmountable. More on all of these topics in future installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement. But that is it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for June 22nd, 2022. I have been wanting to get this old Ivy Residences piece out for a few days. I've been wanting to get through that zoning, but I had other things I needed to do. It is just me doing this work, and I am grateful for all of the support, moral, financial, that I get from all of you who are listening. There's at least well over 100 of you out there. Hopefully there's more, and I'm hoping that you can send this on and tell more people about both the newsletter and the podcast. Different people get their information in different ways. I am still trying to figure out interesting ways, uh, maybe a skywriting edition. If anybody has a plane, uh, let me know. But uh, if you do want to support the program, the best way to do that is, of course, through a subscription through Substack. Uh, You can look in the newsletter. You should find a link to that someplace. If not, let me know and I'll help you find it. But the company Ting, the internet company Ting, is making a generous offer and has made a generous offer for the past year now. They will match your initial contribution, which is fantastic because it means I can continue to do this work well into the future. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. I will be back tomorrow with another installment and hopefully many more before the end of this month of June. We're coming closer and closer to episode 400. Will anything special happen in it? Probably not, but who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? I only know that I have a new set of stories that I will get to as soon as I finish this one. Thank you for listening. Stay cool out there. Stay informed and tell others about Charlottesville community engagement. Thanks for listening and goodbye.